Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the DLA Piper AI podcast series. Um, for those who did not tune into previous editions, the goal of this series is to discuss significant legal considerations around artificial intelligence in various fields of law. Today, we are having a bit of an internal looking um, episode whereby we'll be exploring the impact of AI in the legal sector. Um, I'm Michael Hene. I'm a partner in the M&A practice of DLA Piper in Brussels, and I'll be hosting uh, today's session. Um, for this episode, we have two guest speakers. Uh, first, let me introduce you to my uh, colleague, David Houston, Head of Operational Excellence for our business and service delivery teams. And I'm also very excited to have with us Kostas Starostin, uh, Director of Legal for the AI Solution Suite, Cohere. Uh, welcome both, uh, but I'll let you introduce yourselves a bit. Great. Um, very happy to start. So David Houston, um, I've worked with uh, DLA for a number of years in the innovation space, um, and I have a lot of opportunities uh, to network and work with clients to um, figure out ways to optimize uh, service delivery. And uh, I suppose generative AI and um, my experience of it uh, is something I'm dead keen to share. I uh, sometimes joke with my colleagues that I had my first computer uh, when I was five. And so <laughs> it's been amazing to see the developments and the transformative impact of the technology firsthand. Uh, my name is Costas Drosten, I'm Director of Legal at Cohere. Uh, Cohere essentially is a company that builds and deploys large language models. We're based in, in Toronto, but we have offices in San Francisco and London. Um, and my path to AI has been uh, one of in interest as well. So I started doing M&A, securities, uh, kind of work more broadly. But then I realized there was just an incredible amount of uh, innovation happening in tech, in particular around AI. So when I moved more towards doing tech work and doing venture capital work, which is what I've done for the last several years, uh, I was fortunate enough to stumble upon Cohere and the co-founders before the, the company existed and really was fascinated by what they were building. And so um, it was one of the few clients that I, that I didn't know what the end product was going to be, which was part of the fascination. And so um, I thought, hey, this sounds like a really cool uh, new new technology that I've never come across before. And I can't wait to kind of dig in with them. And now uh, a few years later, I've joined them internally and now I oversee the global legal operations here. As a normal M&A partner and not uh, not a tech guy, um, am I looking at a revolution here? Um, will this make my job disappear in two or three years? Or, or how should we look at this space, guys? I think um, generative AI and, and large language models are here to stay. Um, they're in the public domain. It is something that you can access now to build products and services. And it's incredibly powerful. Um, so I'd agree that the revolution is here. And um, the best analogy I've thought of in, in my head, at least, is um, we're in that kind of 1995 to 2000 period. You know, the internet came, it, it changed a lot of industries, and it was a period of great disruption because the infrastructure of the internet was being built out. Um, I would liken our, where we are with generative AI to that period of history. Um, the world has changed, it's coming in, and we're building out the infrastructure of AI, and, and we should all embrace that. I, I completely agree with you. When I first was getting to this, this is one of the technologies I, I, I thought was going to be kind of fundamental and revolutionary in the same way that the personal computer or the internet kind of revolutionized the way we interact and communicate and, and provide information. The one example we, we use internally is we really view this as similar to the industrial revolution, but for intellectual labor. So in the same way mm. that the industrial revolution unlocked uh, a lot of physical labor because now you can have steam engines and you know cutting, pulling, uh, 
pushing and, and re really removing a lot of the physical barriers to work and making it more efficient. The same way we view that generative AI and large language models will enable us to free up that intellectual labor that normally you know takes up a lot of our time, but can be automated to your point of drafting contracts or or doing simple things like reviewing large quantums of data and, and finding kind of the, the patterns and, and the little uh, nuggets of information, maybe citing it correctly and and putting together those you know supporting documents that occupy so much of a transaction. So I completely agree with that sentiment. It's still very nascent, of course, but at some point it'll be as easy as you know you talking with kind of a, a chat bot or, or something and it being able to understand the, the, the nuances, the context of what you're trying to review or trying to achieve. For example, for an MA transaction, all the consents, things like that, you know what needs to get approved. Um, having that, the capability to be able to tell an, an AI, hey, can you prepare this closing book? This is what the transaction will look like. Here's the kind of where the parties are going to be based, or having it glean that from an LOI or some some types of documents and pre essentially prepare for you all the closing materials or things like that is, I think, going to be fundamental um, shift in the way that we interact in the legal profession, um, for sure. Will there still be interactions with law firms? Will we still need law firms in the future? Uh, and and how do you think the interactions between the client and the law firm and then within the law firm would look like? You probably have a good idea of what the, what the technology will be able to do in, in about two to three to four years. And But how do you see that, that brave new world in, in, in conceptually? So the way I see this kind of being integrated is uh, a lot of the day-to-day -day mundane things can be more or less automated with limited supervision. Uh, the lawyers can then continue to engage with the clients more directly, more personally. They they have less need to kind of double check and triple check all the minutia of the of the supporting structures of a transaction or or a negotiation, and they can really spend their valuable time and insights and their expertise to create those strategic decision plans and and help direct the client to creative solutions that AI will probably lag a little bit behind because AI is very good with structured data, you know, to see kind of connections and to do drafts based on its understanding of, of large, what it's trained on. But where it will take a bit of time is for it to develop that context, that nuance and that creative thinking that humans are kind of the, the best drivers for. And so that's where I think that the senior partners and, and the senior associates who really uh, want to demonstrate their skill set and value i will provide the most value but then the business model will fundamentally change yeah and and because if i look at it i mean i'm i'm a partner um if i look at my day to day i think most of the the stuff i do is indeed it's it's conference calls it's meetings it's talking to people it's reading people it's translating their problems without them knowing what their problems are uh, I guess all that stuff will probably stay there uh, so for 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 the foreseeable future but indeed my team and how that works and initial I mean, due diligence uh, contract drafting preparing first drafts of documents translating documents so how are we still going to like train up our people how how do you how do you see that or is it just a different way of training up people I, I do think there will be a change in the way law firms are kind of constructed and the way associates are, are trained with, without mm -hmm. question, but I, I don't think it will disappear entirely. I think what will happen is you have a much more larger pool of, you know, structured, well-defined data and, and resources for them to really learn from in the same way that we now have access to information on the internet. You know, before you had to kind of learn from books and maybe before the internet age, you kind of go through law school and you kind of learn from the partner and you work on on a, on a very limited subset of documents or precedents that that partner is familiar with that that law firm has. 
you know, um, now with more and more resources, more and more kind of capabilities, you have access to a lot more kind of materials, including kind of what's on what's online if you're not in law, but or or within the the knowledge base of the law firm. It, what AI will allow you to do is to expedite the training and really focus it and narrow it on the associates. So if you're learning about MA, for example, you can get a crash course or you can get, you know, access to really, really good precedents. And maybe it will be able to summarize like here are six different versions of this clause. Here's why they're different. Here's why that matters. Mm. And then really understand like where you're going to value that is going to, to come in. And you make those connections and understand like how that impacts your client. Because you know, otherwise you're kind of looking at someone has to prepare that information where you have to read those contracts and maybe you don't have all the nuances. What law will, or what uh, AI rather will allow you to do in law is to expedite that and prepare really crafted, structured kind of materials on a much larger scale to, to associates to train from. That's right. I think that's a really well-drawn answer. But but to turn to this question of value delivery and what, what it means for the lawyers, I wonder if um, the, the only addition I could um, put forward is it has to do with what it will deliver internally for us inside a law firm and then what we will deliver externally for our clients. And I think to cut at the heart of your question, Michael, is that internally, I would imagine that we will have AI assistance platforms that we can use that drive efficiency um, and capability and augment our lawyers' capability and capacity to deliver work better. And I suppose that then frees up time because it, it obviously generates an efficiency. So some of the tasks that we did before, um, we, will, we will be doing five, 10 times faster. I suppose the thing that is a bit unknown is what does that then translate when we start delivering bespoke things for our clients? And I think where our firm certainly has positioned itself very well is creating those new products and services that are actually um, kind of hybrids. They're like legal services, but they're also involving data and new ways of envisioning how that service is delivered. So I'd say if if I were using arbitrary terms, if if 20% of the pie gets eaten, 10% of it might be a new pie. So effectively, there are opportunities that are created that, that we can then train ourselves on and actually be more capable. And is there a way of, of as a law firm to prepare for this well? Because ultimately, um, you train as a lawyer, you spend 10, 12 years in a big law firm. Uh, ultimately, you have a couple of client contacts. You take your laptop, you've got your brain, you put yourself in your living room and you can work like twice as cheap as the big law firm. This will all be about data. Um, and I see your point on it's all on the internet. On the other hand, I've never found a good SPA on the internet. Uh, so, so is this now also an opportunity for certain law firms to actually play their cards right and actually be a mover in the consolidation game? Because I will create pricing pressure. This will create pricing pressure because I will I will be technically be able to do this in 10 minutes, I assume. I will have a conversation with my clients. I'll fill in the 30 questions and then an SBA should in principle roll out of the, of the system. But you will have to have access to the data. Do you think that there will then be a, a huge consolidation wave combined with pricing pressure in the legal industry? Or, or how do you look at that? I think there will be consolidation off of the basis of the points you've raised, the efficiency created. And the, the, the main heart of that is that to be competent in this area, 
does require resource. When you think about it, it requires new roles we haven't even thought of in terms of um, AI project management, um, data science, innovation professionals, and of course, our, our wonderful providers like Cohere, who, who are capable of working and partnering with us to, to deliver the products and services we want to deliver. And so I wonder if the smaller firms and, and some of the medium-sized firms that don't commit um, may struggle to have the resources to deploy, um, to, cre to build credible solutions to compete. Um, on, the, on the larger size firms, I think it's anybody's game. And I think the reason is that it's not just a technology problem, it's a technology and talent problem. Um, and, and I'd love to hear your views on this, Costa, because it affects everything. But I, I would go back to my tired analogy of the internet. There were just certain people that knew about routers and switching systems and infrastructure, and they worked for Cisco, and they got paid a fortune uh, to build out the internet. It's, it's actually no different here, is that there are new professionals who are the lifeblood of how you will build your, your future models and bridge the gap between the technical and the deliverables. And um, I, I think firms that build strong capability in this area will massively differentiate themselves. Yeah, I, I think those, I, I agree with those points. And, and I guess I have two kind of different views of it. Um, one is I think it will impact from both sides. So for smaller firms, it will allow, like right now, historically, smaller firms typically don't do larger transactions because really the difference isn't like the quality of the lawyer necessarily. We're all kind of, you know, there's a lot of smart lawyers out there that small run boutique firms. It's the manpower that that's needed to actually act, process a transaction. So the larger firms do the larger deals. Smaller firms do very much bespoke work that it's you know highly intellectual, but not necessarily like requires ten or fifteen associates or students to to pull off. And so, what I think this will will help is it will help them expand into new areas of work because you'll need potentially less resources to be able to run a transaction. So I think it will narrow the gap a little bit between smaller firms and maybe medium sized firms. Those who are you know eager to adopt the technology and kind of I mean it's a, it's a very layered and complex technology so there's many different ways you can integrate it that provide you know cost efficiencies um and and really reduce the um, amount of written off or non-billable hours so i think one of the things we all kind of i'm sure have felt the pain of is there are just there's just some work that you can't bill for it's just there's a lot of work post closing or or in connection with a transaction or other matter that just goes uh, get that gets basically assigned to students because you can't charge for it uh, that creates a lot of loss for law firms. It's it's a you know as you can understand a, a, a huge drain on on the resources. And that in a way you have to kind of charge a premium to offset those costs because you're paying for those associates and their time. So I do think from the practitioner side that will allow people to get into areas that are more uh, that they wouldn't previously have been able to enter into, and at the same time help larger firms reduce those you know cost inefficiencies. But then from the other side of it, I think. Uh, it will allow, you're right, there will be pricing pressures. But I think that's, a, you know, in a way, a good thing because historically law has been kind of, you know, this like bastion, the silo where you really need to have uh, a particular pedigree or education. And, and it's like the privileged few that kind of have access to these resources. And so there are instances where, you know, you might feel wronged or you might feel like you need legal advice, but you just can't justify, to your point, a thousand euro, two thousand euro for an initial agreement because it's just not worth it to you. 
what I think this will help unlock is, is give a much broader pool of potential clients access to legal services, because then you can provide them at a, maybe a 50% discount to what you're currently providing. Like it doesn't necessarily translate to a lot of additional work for, for you because you have the power of AI to offset some of the things that would take up a lot of time. Um, but now you can have associates who don't have to occupy themselves with that kind of work, really help clients at a reduced rate. You can spend less of your time doing the work. Maybe you charge a bit less, but really you have a much broader pool of clients. So the small businesses or you know potentially the individuals who want to uh, have someone take a look at their lease for, for an apartment or something now have access to that because, hey, it's only going to cost me 200 euro to do a, an initial pass. And it'll be pretty good because even though I'm kind of relying on an associate, they're part of a good firm. That firm has really good AI tooling. So I'm confident and comfortable that the advice I get is solid. And that will give you a larger pool of clients, whether it'll offset one for one or whether you get more as a result. I think no one can really predict, but I do think it will, from both sides, kind of uh, expand the, the scope of legal work and the availability of legal services to everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do see that point. Uh, I, I think you can also go way further in the service delivery. I mean, just one example, antitrust issues. I mean, now with artificial intelligence, I think, David, we, we built a tool like that, whereby you could basically scan all emails from your entire organization and then check whether or not somebody has been sending out emails like this. Uh, which, which just from a technology, I mean, just from a logistical perspective, would not have been possible five years ago. But this will become possible if I want to do a due diligence. Until now, how I've done due diligence is I ask the seller to provide me with a data room with all the documents that are relevant, and then I will ask my lawyers to look at the relevant documents. I could imagine that in four or five years' time, I will not ask the other side to prepare. A data room and put stuff in there i will probably just ask them to have my artificial intelligence tool access to their system which runs through everything and which just provides my lawyers with a result already saying you probably want to look at document xyz uh, and then probably my diligence will be so much deeper and so much more detailed i will probably be able to understand the company in a day rather and I, i'll really understand it properly rather than looking at a data set which has been prepped for me and also with all the risks associated to it. So that's probably also something I see which which could make our work actually much more interesting. Yeah, and, and you, you touch on a really good point, just to finish on that, is the idea that in the past, we have very successfully approached um, AI. So we, we, we have used it as a firm, but I suppose the real revolution here is that those were what I would call bespoke AI things that were built from the ground up for a specific purpose, and you put thousands of hours of effort into. And I know, Costa, you and Cohere have a really good slide on this, which is that Cohere and everybody's heard of ChatGPT um, and a number of other key large language models, all that work is done for you on their side. So an important point to capture here, like you've said with diligence, is the engines now plug in you don't have to create them from scratch. Whereas where we have been in, uh, as a firm over the last five years is prior to 2017, you would have to build these models more or less from scratch. Um, and it, it's amazing to think that you can tap into them now. We talked about data, we talked about talent. Uh, so I'm a law firm leader. How how do I start this? I mean, if I and and I haven't started yet. So how do I start this process? Who do I hire? And how do I actually clean up my data? Because you said it needs to be structured. 
We've got iManage. I mean, everything's on there. If one of my colleagues really wrote a really bad SPA, it will be in there. Uh, I mean, they don't write bad SPAs, but maybe somebody in the past wrote a bad SPA, it'll be in there. I don't want my new SPA to come out based on that SPA. How do I how do I clean up my data and what kind of people will I need? How does my staffing look like uh, in, in a couple of years or, or next month? I think the way that we will best approach the challenge is um, a bit roundabout. And I think it is the business case for what we're trying to achieve and the clarity over the requirements before we do it. And I did think of an example that might make this point is um, let's just say there is a large scale uh, litigation and we could design an, a fraud agent that could scope a myriad of documents, as you'd imagine, as part of the litigation and comment on areas of fraud. I'm, I'm being really facetious, but just imagine that's the requirement. But imagine we needed to spend a thousand hours in development to do it of, of highly trained data scientists and innovation people and time from Cohere and so on. And the product of that was a few associates would review it and, and it would be three lines on the report. So we've got to think of value insofar as what we expend to build something and what value and um, standardization we get as an organization to drive client value. And, and so I think there's a bit of a toll gate where we, we will have lots of great ideas that are perhaps very labor intensive to build um, with not a clear scope. But on the other end, um, when you talked about diligence, we'll have very high value standardized tasks that we know we need to crack. And if we had an agent or an AI capability, it would only be a matter of time if we tried it in one country and then 10 countries and then 20 countries and we used it across the board to very high effect. I think once you pass that toll gate, it becomes very apparent the types of people you need. Um, if I, I'm obviously biased, I'm gonna focus outside <laughs> the legal sphere, so forgive me. Um, we will need our lawyers, we will need our partners, and we will need the existing business structure because you are the ultimate arbitrators of what we give to our clients. So, you know, that to me is an absolute given. Um, but in the space of actually building out these solutions, uh, I think there are roles we haven't even imagined yet. Um, and I think they're around project management, um, um, actual large language model capability, like people who, whose management role is just to understand all the great stuff out there and how it applies to problems we have in the law firm, um, data science, innovation professionals, um, and very strong ties with um, our, our large language model providers, because of course they will be coaching and educating us on how we actually build. Um, and Costa, you referenced architects and solution engineers, that those types of roles I think will really be built out over the next, um, you say two years, and I actually would say over the next two years, because the pace of this change is just so fast. If, if you were really looking five or 10 years out, I think these teams will grow bigger than people perhaps realize. Yeah. I, I, I think I agree with, with that entirely. Um, there's going to be a lot of roles that will 
become apparent only once we've actually started the process of of running this. And some of those are you know, the solutions architects, but nuanced versions of that. I do think there'll be a cottage industry that springs up of these implementation integration providers, people who take AI services and, mm. and help companies integrate them because you know we do one thing really well, which is build the models and we understand how to do that really well. What we don't know is your business and your particular needs. And so there is always that kind of friction where we try to figure out like, how can we make the tech fit your business best? And so those people, um, to the extent that they have the capability and understanding, like maybe they're implementation providers specific for the legal industry. So they know kind of, they work with you, they understand like the issues in the legal profession. One of the things that we focused on is what's called uh, retrieval augmented generation, RAG for short. And what that does essentially is if you have an internal knowledge agent and you're saying, hey, provide me with a draft of an SPA, it will, and you'll say like, make it buyer friendly, this jurisdiction, this kind of company, you know, export controls, potentially like antitrust issues. It will, when it drafts this, be able to create citations to particular points. So you will see if a paragraph is from a particular document, it will say, hey, this was taken from this document. And you can check, like, does that actually make sense? And you go thumbs up, thumbs down. So in your example of where you said, hey, I don't want this bad SPA polluting my, my data set, the models mm-hmm. learn based on connections. And the connections are mathematically stronger, weaker, but it's it's through reinforced learning and human feedback, so RLHF, that it strengthens or weakens those connections. And so what happens is, you know, the more you give it thumbs up, thumbs down, when you when it integrates certain things, the more the model will say, hey, this is actually not a very good precedent, or it's not a very good version of this clause. So maybe the agreement is good for you know these four things, but it's really really bad for these other things. And so don't take that information from there. And and over time, as you kind of have more iterations of it. Um, the, the the quality will continue to improve because you've kind of taught it what you're looking for and, and you are the, the, the expertise that's really going to weigh in and make that difference. And I think that's also where law firms will differentiate themselves because you can train your AI better by mm. virtue of the feedback you provide it. It's very important to get high quality feedback and, you know, you know interactions with the model from people who um, like really understand the issues deeply. So the technological change will require huge human investment, actually. So we'll actually have to free up a lot of people's time in order to actually give the feedback. Well, come up with the ideas, what we want, and then test the system, give feedback to the system, have other types of people involved, like non-lawyers. And then especially, it'll always come from the interaction, I guess, between the non-lawyer and the lawyer. And then, okay, what are you building? Because sometimes sometimes when I see some of these presentations on AI, I find them a bit theoretical. It's like an engineer telling me, this is how technology will replace your job. And then my, my idea is, yes, but you have no clue what my job is. I mean, my job is not, uh, please tell me what the law is on this topic. That's probably very interesting, but that's not my job. And it's about the interaction of me with that engineer telling that person, well, you're not right. I, I don't believe that, that that that's my job. And this is what I need in order to do my job right, that there's going to be actual actual products coming out of it. And do you see firms really investing in in this? Because it's it's really taking lawyers and allowing them to spend like non-billable time on this, hiring huge, I mean, not huge teams probably, but still, I mean, teams, 10, 20 people, I guess you need in order to be able to do this. Do, do we actually see that in the market already? Yeah, we, we definitely see, uh, I think, a tremendous appetite from law firms. I think it's inevitable 
Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm biased as well, but I do think it's inevitable that this technology will make its way and proliferate the legal profession as it will other professions. And so uh, I do think l- large law firms will always have that consideration of, hey, am I providing, you know, quality service at, in, at a efficient, inefficient way, whether it's internally or for the client, right? You want to make sure that even if you're billing the same, like how can I maximize my time and my, my input? And so it, it, it will be a cost benefit analysis, but, but, the, but what I will say is, the models will only get better. It certainly will. I, I wonder if it also just connects back to what, what you've shared with us, Michael, which is that there, there's a risk that without bringing the partners and lawyers on board and actually ensuring that they're driving the change, uh, innovation experts could struggle and they could struggle in one capacity uh, that, that seems really obvious. But um, if we are selling these tools and, and we're selling them within our firms, for example, we're probably missing the the genuine um, requirement to bring the organization on board with the change that they're trying to drive. And I think the successful firms, and and Costa, you've alluded to this, will will do both really well. They will have technical expertise and they will understand focused areas where they're deploying them. And I'd, I'd argue DLA is well on this path, but they will bring the legal profession and the legal side of the firm on board to where it is deployed to the most um, effect. Yeah, and that could be an interesting world whereby you actually, you you really, because for me, it's also often about understanding my process, understanding an M&A deal and all the subtasks that are attached to an M&A deal. Uh, so indeed, people see where the efficiencies are. I mean, first draft of SPA, in my view, it should be a, like a one-minute job. I mean, or not, not a one-minute job. I need to fill in the questions or I need to talk to my AI, tell them what I want. I want an earn-out mechanism, closing accounts, uh, balanced set of reps and warranties. I'm representing a, a seller uh, and there's a w insurance. I mean, probably that's, that's kind of where I want this to be. And then the thing needs to produce something. Uh, but it's also like prepare closing Bible, which is at the end, uh, prepare all the proxies in order to execute the notarial deeds. And it's about all these sub processes uh, to understand all the sub processes, including annoying tasks like please file my email so I don't have to drag and drop anymore. I mean, that that probably saves somebody an hour a day. Um, but but it's it's about understanding that going into understanding the process and then improving the process, making every sub-step more efficient, and then also about inventing new ways of new levels of service delivery. For example, my due diligence example or ESG, like do a full scan of this organization from an ESG perspective, uh, checking on this and that and that, uh, to totally new products. And and I mean, each time it, it feels like a big interaction and also each time it feels like a, a, a move away from pure billable hour stuff to fixed pricing on certain subtasks uh, combined with efficiencies and then and then having pricing pressure but actually using it to your advantage in a competitive environment. And and I guess that's where this thing goes. But it's it's of course way more complex than just the technology. I mean, it's it's really about, I mean, for me, it's really about human versus technology interaction. Maybe just taking a couple of steps back now, like in-house, how do you see this evolution for in-house, like general counsels and in-house teams? Yeah, I mean, I mean from my perspective, um, we we do a lot of dog fooding internally. So dog fooding is just basically people who don't know is just, you know, using your own technology internally. 
I think the, the biggest challenge for in-house counsels is that you don't have the same resources that a law firm does. You can't put in, you know, a couple of students on, on this to figure it out. You can't have like a practice coordinator or an implementation specialist to help you uh, understand how to, how to really optimize for it. So you're between kind of running the company and making sure that it's not getting into legal trouble um, with a skinny team and, and kind of making sure that goes forward. It's going, it's going to be, I think, a higher proof point for in-house counsel, at least on smaller teams. Those, those individuals will need to see some very small, quick wins. But on the other hand, it could again be about enhancing the role. Like we just talked about smaller law firms. I was talking to a client of mine on Friday who said like, yeah, my issue is I'm a general counsel. I'm based in Brussels. I've got a team of five lawyers and I need to fly to Latin America this weekend because these guys, I mean, I need to monitor these people. So what you could, of course, do with artificial intelligence is actually insist that they submit all their new contracts into a system and have it reviewed way quicker than you could actually do manually. I mean, again, how they then would build the tools, I assume then there will need to be suppliers that actually provide tools for them that are actually already quite ready-made. So you can just plug and play in a way and, and and use it as a suite on your normal on your normal IT system so you can actually enhance what you can do in a day because they're all under enormous pressure uh, like uh, resource wise so but this this could be a solution for them as well to do more in or or not to do more in-house but to just with the same resources be able to do substantially more and manage the risk within your organization substantially better. I definitely think there'll be opportunities in this area. One, one challenge I could see over the coming years is that we have an inclination, and, and I think I speak for large law firms when I, when I say this, because we sell our services to our clients. And so we think in terms of billing and retainers. Um, but in relation to in-house counsel and Gen AI, I think we may sometimes try to sell things to create new revenue streams and new value streams when actually the solutions you mentioned, Michael, are more what our in-house clients would like. They would like advice on how to deploy simple AI tools to themselves be more efficient. And if we sharpen our pencils, I think we'll, we'll eventually step into that area because it's so much more high value for our clients. In other words, I'll give you one example is we've, um, we built a summarization engine that can summarize any document. Um, and it, it's based on Cohere's technology. Our, our in-house teams are very keen to see that because it's simple, it's clear, it's built on technology, it has a functionality. Um, and it, it, it's kind of logically clear how they could use it because actually building it, once you understand how it's built, it's not fundamentally that difficult. Um, they don't wanna buy it as a subscription service they want to understand how we can inform them in some ways on how they can use generative AI to improve their working relationships and, and the meaningful work that they in turn do. Um, I don't know if that resonates with you, Costa, but I think it, it's kind of at the heart of what you're saying is you don't have the resources to do the huge things. You just like to do some of the small things more efficiently. Interesting. We've looked at law firms, we've looked at clients, in-house teams, like alternative service providers i mean do you really see like 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 totally new parties coming uh and and threatening uh or 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 shaking up fundamentally the 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 legal landscape uh and 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 where are the opportunities there um 
Yeah, I think there will be new parties that will shake up the legal landscape. There will be, I think, a combination of these implementation providers and, you know, kind of maybe maybe started by lawyers. So one example is an AI company that does a lot of kind of what we're talking about, which is helping provide legal drafts and legal AI power tooling for, for businesses and law firms. Um, I think there will be companies like that that kind of jump on and try to create that value. But there's a, certainly, I think, a strong role for the established law firms to play and be able to um, maintain relevant and be you know at the forefront of those conversations because you do have just incredible amounts of uh, in, insight and context and client relationships that you know it isn't just hey this is my lawyer I, every time I talk to him I dread it because I'm going to get a massive bill. This is like hey my lawyer is going to give me that into how I can potentially, you know, be more effective. And here's, they give, give me some creative solutions. So uh, while I think those firms will spring up and try to carve out some of the value add, there's a huge role for law firms to play to say, hey, uh -huh. client, I'm actually, I want to pass these efficiencies to you. I want to make it uh -huh. more accessible to you. I want to give you greater visibility. And here's how we can do it and, and, and reinforce the relationship that it's a partnership, not a client lawyer, but you guys are really you know, partners to try to so solve some creative solution. Okay, I think we're almost at the end of our podcast. I must say that I'm you made me quite enthusiastic about all the opportunities that are out there, rather than uh, be scared. So that's that's good. I think it's uh, it's quite a lot to do for everybody, uh, including for the lawyers, which is uh, which is a good thing. Thanks a lot, guys. I I thought it was a really really interesting conversation, and um, well, uh, good luck, and uh, hopefully we can work together on. Uh, Lots of new ideas and solutions uh, in, in, the, in the very near future. Thank you all. Thank you.